Welcome in to Outkick the Show, Friday edition of the program. Uh, I hope all of you are having good starts to your weekend, uh, and uh, I hope you are ready to have some fun. Um, we got a lot to talk about, some serious, some not so serious, um, but I uh, want to thank you all for your support of Outkick. Numbers continue to skyrocket little bit of uh, housekeeping. I will be in Salt Lake next week. Uh, so uh, much of next week anyway. Uh, we're doing the radio show live Thursday and Friday. I'll be out there through the end of the weekend. Uh, we are number one with the Clay and Buck show in Salt Lake City. So if you happen to be in Utah and think to yourself, who is that dashingly handsome man walking around in the streets of Salt Lake City? Might be me. Could be Buck, too, but it might be me. Um, uh, but anyway, we're going to be out there. So that's a little bit of uh, housekeeping. I'm also speaking down in Atlanta the week after next. And I believe the math is such that basically I'm on the road because uh, of the college football big noon kickoff show. Effectively, part of every weekend all the way up to almost uh, Christmas. So about to get even busier than we have been before. But I want to start with some breaking news Uh, We've been talking all week long about the raid on President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate by the FBI. Uh, And there now are starting to be some details filtering out. I saw the Wall Street Journal and talked about it on the Clay and Buck show, just as we the radio show we just finished, walked you through some of the uh, details associated with what are reportedly being seized there. Um, And what you can see is that this is shaping up as a battle over whether any of these documents were declassified or not. And if they're declassified, then you can't call them classified documents. And let me explain what I mean. Uh, The president has the authority to declassify documents as he sees fit while he is in office. Trump declassified a massive tranche of documents in the final days of his presidency. Uh, And when he declassified those documents, uh, that then meant that, it's not a shocker, they're no longer classified. That's what declassified means. Um, And so this is not a new argument he's been making. We actually had Kash Patel, who was one of the people in charge of helping to look over this process, on with us on the Clay and Buck show back in May. And he said pretty straightforward that Trump had declassified almost all of these documents uh, that were at question. And certainly Trump wasn't acting like he was trying to hide these from the FBI. In fact, they went and visited with Trump in June and reviewed the documents that he had there. And so a lot is not adding up here. But I do think this is significant because the battle is definitely setting up as if it will be over whether or not these documents were classified. And I suspect the vast majority of media are going to cover this as if these were classified documents as opposed to being declassified. So Donald Trump just went on Truth Social. By the way, in addition to being on Twitter, and Facebook, and YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, I'm on Truth Social. I'm also on Rumble. We're everywhere, basically. Uh, But Trump posted this on Truth Social. Number one, it was all declassified. Number two, 
They didn't need to seize anything. They could have had it anytime they wanted without playing politics and breaking into Mar-a-Lago. It was in secured storage with an additional lock put on as per their request. They could have had it anytime they wanted and that includes long ago. All they had to do was ask. The bigger problem is what are they going to do with the 33 million pages of documents many of which are classified that President Obama took to Chicago. And so, look, what I think is setting up here quite clearly is a battle over whether or not these documents were classified. And before I get there, I want to uh, dive into this issue. Most crimes require two parts. Most crimes in the United States. An actus rea, that is an act, and a mens rea, that is an intent, okay? So uh, if you're out there and you're wondering, hey, was a crime committed or not, it requires an act and an intent to commit a crime. Now, there's some small measure of exceptions for strict liability offenses. A strict liability offense means it's a crime if you did it no matter what. I'll give you an example of a strict liability uh, crime. Age of consent. You could be at the bar dancing your way around. You're having an amazing time. You're 25 years old. Hot girl comes up to you in the bar, says, hey, you want to dance? You make out with her. You hook up with her. Turns out she was 16 years old. Record scratch moment. And you could say, wait a minute. She was in a bar. She had a beer. She had a fake ID. In many jurisdictions, if you are over the age of consent, you're an adult, and you consent with someone under the age of consent, that is a strict liability crime. And so the fact that you saw her in a bar with a beer and you thought that she was of age, certainly thought that she was at least 18 or over, in many jurisdictions, that is a strict liability offense and you could be charged with a crime. Okay? That's an example of strict liability. You might have done the act, but your intent to do the act uh, was not there. The intent doesn't matter. I'm not an expert in presidential uh, documents, and anyone who claims to be an expert who is a lawyer probably isn't because there aren't that many presidential document experts. But I think Trump is going to have, in the event that there's ever any criminal charges discussed here, I think Trump is going to have an argument that he didn't intend to actually create a crime here because he had declassified everything. And that ties in with this defense, which is going to be, there's no crime here because I declassified all of these documents in the first place. Also, let's think here for a moment. We've gone from Donald Trump led the insurrection Donald Trump colluded with Russia. Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy ever to Donald Trump took some documents down to Mar-a-Lago which were padlocked inside of that place and that is the crime we're going to get him for. I'm not even sure they're going to bring any charges here. And again, Merrick Garland cannot be in charge of this investigation. He has to recuse himself. But we are now to the position where 
everybody watching January 6th is like, this guy needs to be charged with insurrection. This is sedition. This is... Oh, he took some documents that he claims he declassified, which were actually classified. That's where we are. That's where we have descended to now. And I just want to remind you that left-wingers out there bought into Robert Mueller's going to end the uh, Trump presidency. They bought into impeachment one, impeachment two, the, uh, the January 6th hearings. And now they're all the way down the rabbit hole and their savior is he had a few documents that were classified inside of Mar-a-Lago, which is something, by the way, if you pay attention to history at all, feels like almost every president has had this issue because they all try to create their own presidential libraries and they want as much original documents as they can there. So this feels very strange. Okay, a couple of other things. They said this was a national security issue. Well, they got the warrant on Friday of last week and didn't execute it until Monday. If it's a national security issue, why'd they let it go through the weekend? i just tossing it out there. If you're really afraid of national security issues, why would you wait the whole weekend to go in after you got the warrant? And again, I circle back to what suggestion is there that they couldn't have got these documents without needing to raid with 20 different FBI agents in order to get them back. Trump himself came down and met with the agents when they came to Mar-a-Lago before. What suggestion is there that a major crime is going on here? Frankly, this feels incredibly desperate and I think is further evidence of what's going to happen, in my humble opinion, the humblest man I know, is uh, this is going to be like Charlie Brown and Lucy all over again. Blue checks are so excited. They're running full speed. Oh, they've got him. He's done for. There's no hope. And then right as they think they're about to kick the football, Lucy pulls the football back. Charlie Brown swings and misses. And they're all laying there on the ground, staring at the ceiling, wondering what in the world happened that ended up to keep them from being able to get their great white whale, Donald Trump, guilty of something. Uh, So pay attention to this, uh, but that is where I think we are headed. We are going to see a battle over whether or not this is permissible as it pertains to uh, classified versus declassified, and you're already seeing the leaks coming out, uh, what exactly they might have been searching for, and they said it was nuclear codes or whatever, nuclear documents. What, is Trump going to build a nuclear bomb at at Mar-a-Lago? Are are we unclear what's necessary in order to build a nuclear bomb? Do we really think that Trump was running around with the nuclear codes for the last 18 months and they didn't go get them? Uh, Either they had no idea that there were nuclear documents missing, which seems like a big deal. Maybe they should. Or uh, Or they knew they were missing and waited 18 months to go get them, which also seems like a mess. Now, Trump is weighed in. Nuclear weapons issue is a hoax, just like Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia was a hoax. Two impeachments were a hoax. The Mueller investigation was a hoax, and much more. 
Same sleazy people involved. Why wouldn't the FBI allow the inspection of areas at Mar-a-Lago with our lawyers or others present? Made them wait outside in the heat. Wouldn't let them get even close. Said absolutely not. Planting information, anyone, reminds me of the Christopher Steele dossier. Um, So that is that story. Okay, so that is Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure we're going to continue to cover it. uh, But that is the latest, trying to put it in context in a larger scale for you. Positive news. Remember when everybody out there was saying that I was trying to kill grandmas because I told you you didn't need to wear a mask, that six feet separation didn't make sense, that the idea that you could walk up and down an aisle, remember when they had the footprints and you were supposed to go down one way and the other way, that none of this made sense and that everybody advocating for it was insane? Basically, the CDC has finally caught up with me from two years ago and they have new guidelines. And among those guidelines are unvaccinated people now have the same guidance as vaccinated people. Well, wait a minute. Remember when Joe Biden told us that COVID was just a pandemic of the unvaccinated? Remember when he told us that if you didn't get the COVID shot, it was going to be a winter of death? Now we have advanced to the point where the new CDC guidance, which came down yesterday, says that unvaccinated people now have the same guidance as vaccinated people. They also are saying Kids can stay in class after being exposed to COVID. Good. Uh, It's no longer recommended to screen those without symptoms. That is, testing makes no sense if you feel fine. Uh, If you are exposed to COVID, you're no longer required to quarantine at all. Basically, we're going to treat COVID like every other illness that has ever existed in the history of mankind. You didn't quarantine if somebody near you got the flu. You didn't quarantine if somebody near you got a cold. And COVID has now become just another virus that we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives. But remember what they're trying to do here. They're trying to pretend they didn't put up crime scene tape around children's playgrounds, that they didn't arrest random paddleboarders out in the ocean, that they didn't fill in skate parks and take rims off basketball hoops, that they didn't shut down parks and tell everybody that they had to go inside, they wouldn't allow you to go and sit outside on the beach. They're all trying to pretend they didn't do that. They did. And they have to be held accountable for it. And remember when people like I and other people like me said, hey, guess what? None of these COVID restrictions make sense. They actually came after us aggressively on social media and tried to shut down our ability to share those opinions. Which ties in with what's going on with Alex Berenson right now. We'll be right back in a moment, but first, this break. You guys may remember Alex Berenson from COVID. You may remember him from being on my radio shows a lot. We discussed everything COVID in substantial detail. Um... Because I think Alex Berenson ended up being right about virtually everything. Well, Twitter banned him. And then he filed a lawsuit against Twitter. And Twitter allowed him back on the service because he had proven that they weren't applying their rules correctly. Well, this morning, he put up what I thought was a pretty big blockbuster. Which is proof that the Biden White House conspired with Twitter to try to get him banned. That is... The Biden White House COVID advisors were unhappy with the data that Alex Berenson was sharing. And so they demanded that Twitter ban 
Alex Berenson. And then Alex Berenson did it. This is a big deal because what's significant about this is this has been happening increasingly with social media. Government, and it's always left-wings, Democrats have been going to big tech companies, Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, YouTube, you name it, all of the biggest uh, big tech companies that have social media platforms, and they have been saying, we don't like the information that this person is sharing and asking for those companies to ban those individuals. The government couldn't do that itself, right? The United States government, because the First Amendment exists, can't censor your opinion, my opinion, or any of our marketplace of ideas, by and large. But they are leaning on these big tech companies and providing political muscle in order for those big tech companies to take action and shut down people that are sharing opinions they don't like. They are backdoor accomplishing what they aren't allowed to accomplish under our Bill of Rights. And you guys all know China has built a massive wall, a Chinese wall on the internet, a metaphorical one to go along with the physical one that they have. And they don't allow the sharing of opinions that the government doesn't agree with. Most Americans agree that would be wrong to happen in the United States. But what our government is doing is they're getting the same result as China by going to these big tech companies and demanding that they censor and cancel anyone with opinions that they themselves do not like that challenge the prevailing government narrative. It's a big deal. And I encourage Alex Berenson in his lawsuit. I think it could be a transformative lawsuit. Already, he's done what many said was impossible, which is come back from the Twitter dead. I need to do a long-form discussion with Berenson about this suit. Also, as a part of this CDC-changed guidance, Novak Djokovic should be allowed to play in the U.S. Open. The United States is still enforcing an archaic and stupid and anti-science rule that if you come into the United States as a foreign national, you have to have had the COVID shot. That's if you fly in. Now, if you walk across the southern border illegally, whether or not you got the COVID shot doesn't matter. So one funny idea is Novak Djokovic should get his backpack, put a couple of tennis rackets in, fly to Mexico, and then go to the United States border and just walk across and say that he's here to play in the U.S. Open and he wouldn't violate the law because we're basically letting everybody in across the southern border. But we got to do away with this restriction. It's completely illogical when the CDC itself is saying There's no difference between COVID shot vaccinated and non-COVID shot vaccinated because of natural immunity. I've had COVID twice. I never got the COVID shot. Why in the world are we allowing Novak Djokovic to still be disallowed into this country to compete in the U.S. Open? And I think Djokovic deserves a great deal of credit here because in general, he's willing to, to stand up for what he believes in, even if there's a substantial cost to him. Most people in athletics don't actually put anything on the line when they embrace political opinions, 
LeBron, for instance, every political opinion he's ever had has made him more money. It's not actually standing up or brave or courageous what he's done. But when you really think about it, when you really think about it, Djokovic is trying to set an all-time record for US for uh, tennis major wins. He wasn't able to play in the Australian Open, where he probably would have been the favorite. And right now, he's not able to play in the U.S. Open, where he'd also be the favorite. How absurd is this that he's not allowed to play, but how brave of him is it that he's been willing to actually stand on the courage of his convictions, even if it potentially threatens his legacy as being the greatest tennis player of all time? Standing up in controversial manner. If you're Kyrie Irving, Novak Djokovic, Aaron Rodgers, relatively few athletes, very talented at their sport, have been willing to oppose the draconian mandates of COVID shots. And guess what? The CDC itself now has acknowledged that their arguments are true, that there is virtually no difference, certainly if you are young and healthy, between whether you got the COVID shot or whether you didn't get the COVID shot. Um, Funny story for you. Elizabeth Warren, they're writing a piece about her uh, having to do with her her, uh, presidential campaign in 2020. This is from Politico. Uh, On the plane to New Hampshire, the night of the Iowa caucuses, Warren said, this is a quote that Elizabeth Warren said, and I will tell you, just listen to it first. Everyone comes up to me and says, I would vote for you if you had a penis. No one actually says that, all right? When she says, everyone comes up to me, no one has actually said, I would vote for you if you had a penis, all right? If someone did say that, then they are being incredibly sexist, right? What she's basically saying is, everyone in the Democrat primary is insanely sexist because they're not voting for me because I'm a woman, which is, again, not true, all right? Everyone comes up to me and says, I would vote for you if you had a penis. No, they don't, Elizabeth Warren. This might even be a bigger lie than you claiming that you were a Native American and then putting out data from your uh, DNA analysis which showed, I think, that you were 1,124th Native American, which is less, actually, than the average white person in America is Native American. But I just thought that was a funny story. And it's evidence of how many people in media, without question, put up stories that are on their face clearly not true. Everyone comes up to me and says, I would vote for you if you had a penis. No, Elizabeth Warren. No one says that. And if they did, they're incredibly sexist, which is a monstrous indictment of the Democrat electorate. Um, Okay, Uh, this story, I want to check and see if we've gotten any updates on it. This is an awful story. And I don't know how many uh, people out there have actually seen this uh, because... Salman Rushdie, who's the author of The Satanic Verses, 1989, that book came out. He's the author of many different books, incredibly talented author, internationally renowned. Um, He had a fatwa put on him 
by Iran in 1989 because they said that his book was anti the Islam faith, the satanic verses, and that it was not allowed uh, to, uh, that, that he should be killed. And so he's been taken in a helicopter for treatment. Salman Rushdie was stabbed this morning as he was preparing to speak. And so I am curious whether, and I'm scrolling through right now on Twitter to try to see the latest uh, about what might have happened here. Um, but in general, this is an incredibly difficult and unfortunate uh, outcome. And we need to find out what motivated this attack, who was involved in it. There are a lot of different aspects to this story that we still don't know all the facts for, but I'm sure on Monday I will be, uh, I will be there and uh, discussing the latest details associated with this. Finally, positive story. I went to the Williamson County Fair with my kids yesterday and my wife, posted a video, if you're interested, on my Instagram account. I don't put a lot of stuff on Instagram, uh, but it was a race between my wife and the two youngest kids down like a, a slope, a uh, slide, uh, with, uh, anyway, it was a fun, ride, uh, fun race. So that's up. We had an amazing time there. While we were there, the Titans and the Ravens were playing their preseason game. And the Ravens have now won. This is a remarkable stat. The Ravens have now won 21 straight preseason football games. The Ravens go in with everything they've got, evidently. 21 straight preseason games. They beat the Titans last night. Uh, Malik Willis, new quarterback for the Titans, third-round draft pick out of Liberty. A lot of flashes of potential excitement. Uh, coming from Malik Willis, who I think is going to be Ryan Tannehill's backup this year. And you guys all know that I'm done with Tannehill. I'm not convinced that he's ever going to have any measure of substantial success with the Titans, that he's on a substantial decline. Uh, But Malik Willis at least gave a couple of flashes. Now, he wasn't great. Mike Vrabel reportedly pulled him out of the game because he didn't throw the ball when he wanted him to. Uh, But Malik Willis, some early flashes, Very athletic, huge arm, reminds me a little bit, a little bit of a young Steve McNair. But remember, Steve McNair didn't play for the first couple of years that he was in the NFL. He sat behind Chris Chandler, if I remember correctly. And I loved watching Steve McNair play quarterback as a Titans fan 20 years ago uh, when he was coming into his best performance years. Um, And a little bit, a little bit of a flash of Steve McNair in at least one play that Malik Willis made where everybody had him dead to rights. He escaped the pocket, rolled out, and scored on a scrambling touchdown. Can he be anywhere near as tough as Steve McNair? That would be amazing. But can he put together that combination of playmaking ability with the legs and also cannon of an arm and become anything like Steve McNair? Fingers crossed that that could end up happening as a Titans fan. A little bit of flash of Steve McNair-level dominance uh, that we saw in that first preseason game. I understand preseason football, it's hard to get a lot of a judge from it, but you could see his athleticism and you could see his big arm in the NFL, and I am cautiously optimistic that he is going to be uh, a Steve McNair-like player, like, in the years ahead. Remember, McNair won the MVP and came awfully close 
uh, to winning the Super Bowl as well. All right. Love all of you. Hope you have fantastic weekends. Uh, I'll be back with you on Monday. You can go listen to Clay and Buck. It was great with Julie Kelly and with Dr. Oz. I'll tweet out the link. You can also follow me all over the place. If there is a social media site, I believe I am now on it. Just type in my name and you can find me there. As always, have fantastic weekends. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP.